Now, I do have a sermon. It's sitting right here. It better be sitting right here. Yep, it's right here. So, we're going to go ahead and do these. I really wanted to finish these. And you just said a lot of people didn't do them. So, go for it. So, Father, I just yield myself to you, spirit, soul, and body. And I thank you that your word, your seed, will come forth in power and might and fall on good ground, good soil. I yield myself to you, Holy Spirit. And I allow you to have free reign in this, in this service, in this sermon. And I praise you for it. I praise you for the privilege that Pastor and I have to come and teach and pastor these wonderful people that you have given us. <laughs> that we will give an account for. And I thank you, God, that they are good sheep. Good sheep. I praise you for that. And they're easy to pastor. They're, they're followers of your word. They desire and hunger and thirst after your word, as we also do, God. And so we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that on low, sweetheart? Could you check? Praise the Lord. Okay. Last week we taught on sanctify, purify, and consecrate. Amen? And so we got down to, every part was a good part, but then we got down to preparation, proceeds, blessings. So let's go ahead and look at 2 Kings 3.16. you. Number back that way. Yeah. Perfect. Got it. Hallelujah. <laughs> the other day, Pastor and I were in the car and my car makes this loud noise when, because really you cannot see the hood and you cannot see the trunk. How many of you have cars like that? You just can't. And so it's kind of odd. It's different, but it does have a, a loud beeper on it. And I asked him the other day, I said, how far are you going to go with a beeping like that? Because he went further, I think, than I ever had, but we made it. Okay, no water. Preparation precedes blessing. 2 Kings 3.16. I love to read 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel. How many like to read? I like, I like the Old Testament. Let me get there. 2nd Kings chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. So they had preparation precedes the blessings. And remember that Joshua had told them to prepare themselves to enter into the promised land. And so we need to learn how to prepare ourselves to enter into the promised land that God's taking us into. Every day is drawing you closer to the coming of the Lord. Thank God. He could come anytime. Anytime. Anytime would be perfect for me. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind or rain, yet the raven shall be, the ravine shall be filled with water, so you, your cattle, and your beasts, or burden, may drink. But that is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hands. Hallelujah. So they had to dig these ditches before anything would happen. And um, so they got, they, that they had to do something before something happened and I'm going to let you go and read all of this. You know, when you read about Ahab, 
and you read about Elisha, and you read about Jezebel and all these dear people in here, just Jehoshaphat. I'm going to go back up a little bit. This is really neat. And let's go up to um, verse 14. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I respect the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you, King Jeroboam, Jerome, Jerome, whatever you. But now being, bring me a minstrel. And while the minstrel played, the hand and the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. It's different than when David was called and <laughs> what came on Saul, isn't it? How many remember that? <laughs> How would you like to be playing for the king and having a, something thrown at you while you're playing? But this is a lot different. And he, and he said, thus says the Lord, make this dry brook full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, yet the ravine shall be filled with water, so you, your cattle and your beasts of burden may drink. This is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hands. So they had to, they literally had to dig this out. Ditch, dig the ditches until the water came. So, so many times we just kind of want to say, oh God, I just want this to happen. And the Lord's telling you, you've got to do something before I'm going to move. And we, we, I've had the Lord tell me some of the most peculiar things to do. But, and I've held off thinking that's just way out there. But once I find, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit keeps reminding you, and once you finally do it, then the power of God comes and God moves. We might get into a few things this morning. Now we see in 2 Kings 4.3. I'm going to go ahead to verse 1. Now the wife of a son of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two sons to be his slaves. How would you like your kids to be the slaves? You owe so much money that your creditor says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Jason. He's probably going to love me for this, but they owed bills, and, and the creditor comes to Christine and says, you know what, pay up. Or I'm going to take Jason to be your slave, to be my slave. That'd be a horrifying thing for a parent. You know, some parents might think that might be a good thing for my kid, but <laughs> let them learn a little bit here. But this was a horrible thing. And so goes on to say, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you of sale value in the house? Now, most people would not want to hear this. That, you know, when, and I, pastor, I've been with pastor when people have said, you know, we've got all these bills and da-da-da, and he has said, well, what do you have to sell? And they become indignant. How dare you even think that I should sell something, that God should just give it to me? Well, I'll be honest with you, with our Corvette, we owed um, his uncle money that um, he had loaned us for the Corvette, and it, the first Corvette, not any of these ones, the 66. And um, this is when we were dating, and he was paying it back, but I mean, he had a long-term loan here, I'm gonna tell you, his uncle kind of said, Give it to me when you have it. Never get yourself in one of those situations, okay? So he did, but we got married, and then Matt came along, and 
um, there were a lot of circumstances that took place. And one day his uncle said, came and told him, I need the money now. Remember that? I need it now. And we had been paying, but he needed it now. And so it was really too small for five of us anyway. You should have seen us cramming five people in a 66 core. It was quite interesting. We won't even go there. So we sold it for the money. It hurt. It, it, you know, I know from my husband, now I told him, you need to sell the Corvair and keep the Corvette, but he really felt that he needed to see he could get more money for the Corvette, so he sold it so we could get the money to pay off that, and I think we had some other debt that needed to be paid off, and so it went to be paid off. Well, we see here he's telling her, what do you have? of sale value in the house. She said, your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. I want you to think about this. She had got sold everything evidently out, but a jar of oil, that was it. She had a jar of oil in the house. Now, none of us have been in that spot before, and I know that none of us will be because the Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken Amen. So here we go. And then, so then he said, go around and borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not a few. So he's telling her, you've come to me and you've asked me to get out of this mess. And he first he was going to have her sell whatever she had. Well, all she had was a jar of oil, so he tells her, go to all your neighbors and borrow vessels, and don't borrow a few. You've got to borrow a bunch of them. Well, she didn't know what he was talking about. Excuse me. So, and when you come in, shut the door upon you and your sons. Then pour out the oil that you have into all those vessels, setting aside each one until it, when it's full. So she went from him and shut the door upon herself and her sons, who brought to her the vessels as she poured the oil. When all the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one left. Then the oil stopped multiplying. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Well, that was oil, oil was worth something then. Just like oil's worth something now, it was worth something then. Big time. Pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Hallelujah. So first, before she could have the salvation of her sons from that debt, the person she was in debt for, she had to go and do what the prophet told her to do was go and get a bunch of vessels and don't get a few. Go borrow them and don't get a few. Can you imagine all the neighbors and everybody around when those kids came and said, we need all your vessels, all your pots, all your pans, all whatever. So let's look at the next one. Number three, there was no healing until the leper had dipped seven times in 2 Kings 5.10. This was in the, the day of Elisha. These were daily things that took place in his life. There should be daily things like, like this, mighty miracles taking place in the days of our lives. Jesus said, greater things than me shall you do because I go to the Father. So we see in chapter 5, and let's go ahead to verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, accepted and acceptable because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out in bands, and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. 
she said to her mistress, what, what would thou that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So you see this, this little maiden goes to her mistress and said, you know, the prophet is in Samaria and he'll heal your husband of this leprosy. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? For he would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his king. Thus and thus said the maid from Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. It said, with this letter, when this letter comes to you, I will with it have sent to your, you my servant Naaman that you may cure him of leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he rent his clothes and he said, I, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends me to heal a man of his leprosy? Just consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, he sent to the king asking, Why have you rent your clothes? Let Naaman come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came <clears throat> excuse me, with his horses and chariots and stopped at Elijah's door. Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leper. Are not Abana and Parfur, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servant came near to and said to him, My father, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather than when he says to you, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, as the man of God had said, and his flesh was restored like that of a little child, and he was clean. Then Naaman returned to the man of God. He said at all his company and stood before him, and he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a gift from your servant. We'll go on and, and you can go on and read that yourself. So this man had to dip seven times in the river that he did not want to dip in. No, that, that one's not clean like these other ones. But God had a purpose, and it shows how obedience must come first before God can do that that he's, caught, that he's desired to do in our lives. And so many times, we don't want to do it. We just say, no, I don't want to do it. Well, so many people sit there in the same mess that they're in year after year after year after they've been asked by God through a minister normally told by God if you'll do this God will do this but they just don't want to do it it's called stubbornness all right I'll move on what do you, my my thought has always been what do I have to lose Maybe I don't want to do it, but what do I have to lose? Number four, no more, no Messiah until the way had been prepared. In Isaiah 40, verse 3. Good night. If God says don't do something or do something or whatever, just do it. Don't argue. Don't try to figure it out in your brain. 
Trust me, an unrenewed mind is going gonna, is gonna to lead you the wrong way. Or if, if, you're, if you have a problem with stubbornness, that stubbornness is going to keep you from receiving the blessing of God. And year, I've watched people year after year after year where they could have walked in divine health and wholeness and blessings from God, too stubborn to do what God has, has shared with them to do. And yet they could have had it. You know, I would really hate to get to heaven and have God say to me, why didn't you just do what you were asked to do? You could have walked completely free of this thing or had this blessing had you done what I asked you to do. That simple. So many people want to go back to Egypt that's familiar to them and sit there and do nothing. Amen. Okay. Isaiah 40, verse 3. Let's go to verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to the heart of Jerusalem and cry to her that her time of service and her warfare are ended, that her punishment is accepted and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received punishment from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one who cries, prepare in the wilderness, the way of the Lord, clear away the obstacles, make straight and smooth in the desert, a highway for our God. Hallelujah. So he says, a voice from one who cries, prepare in the wilderness, the way of the Lord, clear away the obstacles, make straight and smooth in the desert, a highway for our God. Let's turn to Mark chapter 3, 1, verse 3. See, if you'd read this, you would have had all this a week earlier. Amen? Maybe you came across a situation this week that you needed some obedience in. Okay, Mark 1. Let's go up to the, the top. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written, in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before me. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. Hallelujah. Same as the scripture in, in Isaiah 43. A voice of one crying, verse 3, in the wilderness, shouting in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make his beaten track straight, level and passable. Hallelujah. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness desert, preaching a baptism, obligating repentance, a change of one's mind for his better, heartily amending one's ways with abhorrence of his past sins in order to obtain forgiveness of and release from sin. Hallelujah. And there kept going out to him continuously all the country of Judea and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem as they were baptized by him in the river Jordan as they were confessing their sins. And John wore clothing woven of camel's hair and had a leather girdle around his loins and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes one who is stronger, more powerful and more 
Valiant, I'm sorry, than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy or fit to stoop down and unloose. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. In those days, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came out of the water at once, he, John, saw the heavens torn open and the Holy Spirit like a dove coming down to enter into, into him. And there came a voice out of the within heaven, you are my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Holy Spirit from within drove him out into the wilderness. Hallelujah. So we see that John was sent. And you know, it always interested me when Mary went to visit her aunt, when she got there because Mary was already pregnant with, with Jesus, John leaped within his mother. He was already filled with the Holy Ghost. He, he had the Holy Ghost. I mean, he literally leaped. And you think about this, but there had to be one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. You know, today God is telling, telling us, prepare the way of the Lord. Get rid of this junk. Repent. Change one's mind for the better. Hardly amending one's ways with abhorrence of his past sins. We to obtain forgiveness and release from sins, we need to continually get rid of anything that gets in the way or between us or God. Get rid of it. It's not worth it. It would not be worth it to have to stay here because you refuse to get rid of something. Amen? So, no Messiah until there had the way had been prepared. Okay, number five. No harvest until the ground had been broken up. Hosea 10, 12. How many know? How many have ever planted a garden? You can't just go in there and throw a bunch of seeds out on the dirt and then water them down. You might get some harvest, but you're not going to get much of one unless you prepare it. Amen? Trust me, I used to do that when my kids were little. We used to grow our vegetables and things. You don't remember that, do you? We had this little garden when we lived in Watsonville. You had to keep the critters out, like um, gophers. I don't know how in the middle of winter we get a big fat gopher on our lawn. It's unbelievable. Right now, Hosea 10, 12. So this one is no harvest until the ground has been broken up. So, let's see, it says in um, verse, 11, verse 10, It is my desire that I should chasten them, and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their furrows. And Ephraim is as a heifer that is taught and loved to tread out the corn, but I passed over her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow and Jacob shall break up the clots. Sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up the fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Hallelujah. It is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain down righteousness upon you. You know, we are in a time right now that it's time for us to seek the Lord. It's been time for a long time, but if we want to see things change in our nation, in our government, we need to really seek the Lord and we need to plow up, get rid of, get rid of all the weeds and all the junk that's holding us back. Because the Lord says, I'm coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And we need to get rid of all the crud that could be there. Amen. Purge ourselves from it. So no harvest until the ground had been broken up. 
Joel 2, 12 and 13. Know this, if I give homework and we don't do it, we're going to do it the next week, amen? Same way when I counsel people. If I send them home and say you need to do thus and thus and thus, and they come back the next week and I say, well, did you do it? And they say no. I said, well, there's not a thing I can do for you. Go back home and do it again. What good would it do? If more counselors would do that instead of wanting to just be in it for the money, much would be fulfilled. Amen. Okay. Joel 2.12. This is good. Let's look at this. Um, I like the chapter 2 of Joel. Let's go and look at... Verse 7. They shall run like mighty men, and they shall climb the walls like men of war. And they shall march every one of his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one on his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them and the heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army for his camp is very great for he is strong and it executeth his word for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide? Hallelujah. So let's go on to 12 and 13. Therefore, also know, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rent your heart and not your garments and turn unto me, turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of evil. Hallelujah. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even the meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Hallelujah. So there's no reconciliation without repentance. Well, we all know that, or I hope we all do. Number eight. No resurrection until the stone is removed. John eleven thirty nine. We're talking about Lazarus there. Remember Lazarus? He had died. Jesus waited and they were kind of upset because he waited. He knew what he was doing. He said he won't sleep and that meant die. In other words... Jesus saw him coming back to life. So in John eleven thirty nine, this is exciting. You know, when you start really reading all the miracles that people did in the Bible, you see that nothing's impossible if we just follow God's way of doing things. Amen? If we just follow God's way of doing things, whoops, I missed one. I'm going to go up to seven. No vision without obedience. John 9, 7. Let's go there first. No vision 
without obedience. Well, here we go. As he passed along in verse 1 of verse chapter 9, he noticed a man blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man or his parents sinned, but that he was born blind in order that the workings of God should be manifested, displayed, and illustrated in him. We must work the works of him who sent me and be busy with his business while it is daylight. Night is coming on when no man can work. Now we need to understand this. Night is where no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the world's light. When he has said this, he spat on the ground and made clay mud with his saliva, and he spread it as an ointment on the man's eyes. Now remember, this guy's blind. He doesn't know what's going on. He can hear all this going on, but then he hears spit, and the next thing he knows, there is a mixture of dirt put on his eyes. So he knows. He spit. This person spit on the ground, made this mixture, and put it on my eyes. That might freak some people out. With his saliva and spread it as ointment on the man's eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. When the neighbors and those who used to know him by sight as a beggar saw him, they said, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it looks very much like him. But he said, Yes, I am the man. So they said to him, How were your eyes open? And he replied, The man called Jesus made mun mud and smeared it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I obtained my sight. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So there was no vision without obedience. Now, no resurrection until the stone is removed. That is in John eleven thirty nine. Are you finding out how important it is to be obedient? God says don't do anything, don't do something. And then later on, you try to talk yourself into that it's okay to do it. You better go back to the original don't do and have a talk with God on why did you tell me this and is this still in effect? And trust me, if something has changed and you've completed the work, then you're going to have two or three scriptures that God personally gave you that gave you permission to change what he had said in the first place. If you do not get from him two or three scriptures, you need to stop doing what you're doing because maybe your whole family is in a trap that the enemy has set. Amen? Okay. That went over well. So no resurrection until the stone is removed. In John 11. Eh, I'm just going to read this. Let's go to verse 1. Now a certain man named Lazarus was ill. He was of Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was now sick. So the sisters went to him saying, Lord, 
he whom you love so well is sick. When Jesus received the message, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but on the contrary, it is to honor God and to promote his glory that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were his dear friends, and he said to them in loving esteem, Therefore, even when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he still stayed two days longer in the same place where he was. Then after that interval, he said to his disciples, Let us go back again to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews only recently were intending to try to stone you, and are you thinking of going back there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? Anyone who walks about in the daytime does not stumble because he sees by the light of this world, but if anyone walks about in the night, he does stumble because there is no light in him. The light is lacking to him. He said these things. Then he added, Our friend Lazarus is at rest and sleeping, but I am going there that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Then the disciples answered, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will recover. However, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he referred to falling into a restful and natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Notice what he says. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. It will help you to believe, to trust, and rely on me. However, let us go to him. You notice he says, for your sake, I am glad we weren't there. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go too, that we may die, be killed, along with him. This guy was always sticking his mouth. You had Thomas or Peter, one or the other, one in unbelief and one that want, wanted to work everything out himself. So here we go. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away, and a considerable number of the Jews had gone out to see Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, while Mary remained sitting in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will grant it to you. So we're talking Martha here. Remember, Mary got so upset with Martha because Martha was continually serving everybody, and yet Mary was continually sitting at the feet of Jesus. But here's Martha that comes to Jesus and said, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. So she did get something while she was serving, didn't she? Martha, let's see. And even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will grant it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again, Martha replied. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am myself, the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in, adheres to, trusts in, and relies on me, although he may die, yet he shall live. Let's go back here again. Read this over. I, myself, the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in, adheres to, trusts in, and relies upon me, although he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever continues to live and believes in, has faith in, cleaves to, and relies on me, shall never actually die at all. Do you believe this? Hallelujah. She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed, I do believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, even he who has come into the world. It is for your coming that the world has waited. And she said, and as, after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately, whispering to her, the teacher is close at hand and is asking for you. When she heard this, she sprang up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the same spot where Martha had met him. He was not rushing to do this, let me tell you folks, as you notice. Jesus, Jesus doesn't have to rush. He knows it's, that the word will be accomplished the word that he speaks will be accomplished. And that's how we need to be. We don't need to get all knotted up and concerned. Is God going to do it or not? When we have the word that says he has done it or he shall do it or fear not, we need to slow it down and allow God to do what he desires to do in his way. And I'm going to back up a little bit because we're almost done. Do you remember the man whose daughter had died? The, um, is it Jairus? His daughter had died. And so Jesus said, I'll come with you. So they're on their way with the great multitudes following. And a woman with an issue of blood who kept saying, if I yet touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. If I may touch him. All she could see in her mind was getting down to the hem of his garment and touching him in her condition, her weakened condition. She'd spent all she had, the doctors had it all, and yet she saw herself touching Jesus and being made whole. Yet you have Jairus over here that is in a hurry to get to his child who is dying. Okay? Even to the point where they came and said, forget it. So he's there. I want you to really see this. This is how the enemy operates when it comes to life and death situations. And you need to really have this in your heart and know that you know that God, God before you who's against you and Jesus is the healer and deliverer. It's not, if, if you have, which we're learning on the two kinds of faith, if you have in your mind, well, maybe he will and maybe he won't. And I'm going to tell you right now, it probably won't happen because you've already, you're already in confusion. You're already in denial. You've got to keep your faith you know, David Ingalls has a tape. Keep the switch of faith turned on. We've got to keep it on at all times. Amen. So many people that I have found stand in the way of God's plan for what he desires to do because they feel that they need to take things in their own hands and they totally ruin the plan that God has set out for someone else's life. So here we see this. This has to do with a family member here. We see this. And, and what did Jesus tell 
he stops, he helps the woman. We're going back to the woman with the issue of blood. He stops, he says, who touched me? The disciples look at him and say, what do you mean who touched you? Look at all the multitudes that are around you. We're so hemmed in and pressed in that people are touching us continually. Jesus said, who touched me? He felt virtue go out of his body. That's what he's looking for. Those that will touch him where the power of God is being released continually. That's what God has for us. That's what he's desiring for us to come to that place that in every circumstance and situation, when we reach out with the word of God and we touch him, that we have received what we believe for. Amen? But you cannot doubt in your heart. You got to get that doubt out of there. Glory to God. So here we go. And what did Jesus say to Jairus? Just hang on a minute. Your daughter will live. She will not die. And we know what happened. The woman got healed completely whole. They get to Jairus' house. The mourners are there. Can you imagine being a paid mourner in those days? How loud you had to cry, act and cry and carry on. Good actors. He had to get everybody out of the house that was in disbelief. Everybody, get out. That went over real well. But anyway, he got them out and she got healed. So every, everything was dealt with and taken care of in the life of Jesus. When you see, when you watch his life, when you look at the prophet's lives, when you see how God moves when there is someone that is willing to go after and do the works and the will of him. Hallelujah. And so here we go. Here's Mary. When Mary came to the place where Jesus was, in verse 32, and saw him, she dropped down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her sobbing, and the Jews who came with her also sobbing. And he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. He chaffed it in spirit and sighed and was disturbed. Now, do you think he was upset? When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, he came and came with her. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And she said, where, and, and said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, how tenderly he loved them. And he said, and, and of them he, and, the, and of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Hmm. The Amphite says, but some of them said, could not he who opened a blind man's eyes have prevented this man from dying? Now Jesus again, sighing, repeated, and deeply disquieted, approached the, the tomb. It was a cave, a hole in the rock, and a border lay against the entrance to close it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, exclaimed, but Lord, by this time he is decaying and throws off an offensive odor, for he has been dead for days. In other words, he stinketh. It says, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said unto her, said I not unto thee, that thou wouldest believe, if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hast heard me always. But because of this people, 
which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound head and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with, about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. And then many Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Hallelujah. They gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Isn't that sad? They should have been excited. So we see here, there was, would have been no resurrection until the stone had been removed, until the covering had been removed. All right, the next one and the last one is in Revelation 7. I hope that you're getting a lot out of this because we are coming into the times when God will be performing signs and wonders. The devil will also be performing signs and wonders. I can't wait. I don't believe we'll be here for the two prophets that come, whether it be Enoch and Elijah or Enoch and Moses. It doesn't really matter, but when they start proclaiming and prophesying and the signs and wonders take place, whether we're wa watching from here or from heaven, it is going to be mighty to watch. Amen. But God is preparing the body of Christ that will take the word of God and know the word of God to go forth and operate in the miracles of God in this hour. We've been made to be a blessing. And healing is the dinner bell, the call. When people see multitudes get healed, they come to Jesus. Seriously, church, we need to start believing for this. When you go out on the streets or when you minister to someone, believe that they are going to get healed. Press on past just salvation because the whole plan is in salvation. It's been paid for. Amen? So no entrance into heaven without a cleansing. Revelation 7, 13 and 14. I'm going to go to um, verse um, 10. In a loud voice they cried, saying, Our salvation is, to, is due to our God, who is seated on the throne, to the Lamb. To them we owe our deliverance. And all the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders, of the heavenly Sanhedrin and the four living creatures, and they fell prostrate before the throne and worshiped God. Amen. So be it, they cried, blessing and honor and majesty and splendor and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be ascribed to our God to the ages and ages forever and ever throughout the eternities of the eternities. Amen. 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 So be it. Then addressing me, one of the elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin said, Who are these people clothed in long white robes? And from where have they come? I replied, Sir, you know. And he said to me, They are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, persecution, 
and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. So there will be no entrance into heaven without the cleansing. So there are going to be those that will make it through the great tribulation. We know, of course, the 144 Jews. But also there will be Christians that unfortunately miss the rapture. I pray to God they don't take the mark. You know, I ain't missing the rapture. I'm going to tell you right now, folks. I'm not missing it. Um, keep yourself ready. But like I said, the last one was no entrance into heaven without the cleansing. So they cleanse themselves by the blood of the Lamb. And we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. How much word is in your testimony? Amen. So, as we started this sermon last week, the title of it was, and it was started out in Joshua 3, 5, Sanctify, Purify, and Consecrate Yourself. Now I'm going to go ahead, my husband gave me a nugget, and I'm sure it's in here, if you can grab it. John, you may as well pull the heater out behind me. And this one too. Okay, I'm going to give you your nugget for the day. Praise you, Jesus. The supreme treasure in life is service. The supreme treasure in life is service. We live in a world that for the most part, no longer want to hear what we have to say. If we, if we remain authentically committed to Jesus Christ and his truth, the gospel, we can shine even more brightly. We are to do the best things even in the worst of times. We are in the season of God's giving, God's abundant blessing. Just think about when you close your eyes for a minute. We are in the season of giving God's abundant blessing. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to pray over each one of you. I'm glad that we got to finish this today because we learned the nine things. Give them to you one at a time. I'm not going to read the scriptures. Number one, no water until the ditches were dug. Number two, no oil until the vessels were gathered. Number three, no healing until the leper had dipped seven times. Number four, no Messiah until the way had been prepared. Number five, no harvest until the ground had been broken up. A lot of people wonder why they're not having a harvest. They need to check, up, check out the ground, their ground, amen? Number six, no reconciliation without repentance. Number seven, no vision without obedience. Number eight, no resurrection until the stone is removed. Number nine, no entrance into heaven without cleansing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Take that and think about that this week. I gave you all the scriptures today and last week, I would really meditate on those because God has something special. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for those that are here, those that are on vacation, those that are out of town. God, I'm asking you to pour out your spirit upon each one of us this week in a way that we've never experienced as we open up our hearts to you, as we make things right before you, as we ask you, God, I'm asking you by your spirit, if there be anything 
in my heart or anyone's heart, or anyone's lives or my life that could separate me in any way from your mercy and your compassion and from your miracles working through me, I ask you to reveal it to us. And I thank you, God, that you bless each person super abundantly above more than they, they could ask or think. God, super abundantly above all that we can dare ask, think, or pray. I thank you, God, that the windows of heaven are opened. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go with God and have the best week you've ever had.